Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and I have a summer cold. But if you think I sound bad now, just wait till you hear the episode that follows. My guest this week is writer-producer Michelle Lavretta, creator of the beloved cult series Lost Girl and the current beloved cult sci-fi adventure series Killjoys, which kicks off its second season this Friday, July 1st, on Sci-Fi in the U.S. and Space in Canada. It's a really fun show with a great cast, and you should totally dive into it. The first season's on Blu-ray now if you need to catch up quick. Michelle picked James Cameron's Aliens, and I'm so glad she did. It's the 30th anniversary of that remarkable sequel, which follows up Ridley Scott's 1979 masterwork by doing something entirely different with the concept and the characters, coming up as a result with a film that somehow manages to equal the original while completely setting itself apart from it. Plus, Sigourney Weaver, absolutely amazing, as is pretty much everyone else in the picture. If you think I sound bad, by the way, just, you know, trust me, this is me good. Uh, The episode proper has been heavily overhauled, and I've done my best to cut out the worst of my coughing fits. I just hope that the conversation is worth whatever strain my voice will cause to your eardrums. This is someone else's movie. You know, I was trying to think this morning on on my write-in about when it was that I actually first saw it, because, you know, back in the day we had different venues um, with which to watch movies the first time and for a lot of us it was television because you know there weren't a million channels and you got to watch at two in the morning or at five in the morning with all the commercials um and I actually can't remember the first time I saw Aliens I don't have a a me pre-Aliens me post-Aliens you know experience and of course you're quoting Ripley in Alien 3 right (laughs) well it's, it's almost like it's always been a part of kind of my internal world which obviously is not true, but that's the perception that I have. Mm-hmm. I think that's just how huge an impact it had for me. So, um, for me, I think ultimately the appeal for it was that it was a marriage of my two favorite things, which is uh, spec genre and an unlikely hero. And there's sort of a subsection of that for me, obviously, which is female heroes, because, well, I don't believe that females are unlikely heroes in the real world. Television and film persist in trying to tell us that they are. Sure. So they kind of fall under that canon. Um, But it was just, on its surface, just a damn good movie, you know, which is, first and foremost, what you must demand from something that's going to be your favorite film. And then, you know, attendant to that, all the separate things, is the incredible effects and... The great relationship, which was formative for me between Hicks and and Ripley, Um, the quotable lines, the great direction. I mean, you know, I can and will go on, obviously, but it was just uh, a potpourri of loveliness for all my sweet spots. Yeah. I would have been... I think I I turned 18 that year, so I saw it in a theater like a a big boy. When was it made? Uh, It was released in July of 86. 86, okay. Yeah, I would have been young. And it was the tremendously good summer yeah. Uh, that was the year, I mean, 30 years old now, but that was the year of Aliens and The Fly and Big Trouble in Little China and, and Blue Velvet and just all these weird, idiosyncratic, endearing films yeah. that would, would sort of lodge in the consciousness. Aliens is probably the most mainstream of them. It's yeah. probably the safest one, but it's made by an actual artist, so yeah. it's still its own. It's still very much its own thing. I mean, I was... I was skeptical. I remember going in and thinking Alien was completely self-contained, and mm-hmm. I and I still believe that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Alien is 
uh, intact. It doesn't need to be followed up on. But what Cameron did was realize he couldn't do that and do something else, which is just just genius. Really. Yeah, I think um, I think Aliens itself is also completely contained. You know, at the time when I did see it, I, I the only I didn't see Alien. Um, the the first film until I was in film school. Okay. So I watched them out of order, and I have not gone far in the series. Let's put it that way. Once they were like, "I'm killing Newton Hicks," I was like, "Mm mm." Yeah. Mm mm. No. So um, I, I and I also I remember watching Big Trouble in Little China. That one I remember in a theater. Okay. Yes, I actually I saw that one. Um, but I I think the. I think what's beautiful about those movies is that they are both really good companion pieces and completely separate um, in tone, um, in story, and something that you can enjoy completely on its own. So it, it's it's almost a choose-your-own-adventure when you're in the Aliens universe. You decide how you want to absorb it. And the, and the reality is, directors and producers and writers, we know that now. We know that that's what's going to happen. If you're lucky enough to create a long series, um, whether it's a series of movies or... Um, series and television, you don't get to dictate anymore how fans are going to um, absorb or take in your material. They will take it out of order. They will binge it if you don't want them to binge it. They will, they'll do all of those things. And so all you can really do is try and make sure it's a story that you want to tell that individual installment that individual way um, because you, you, you just can't dictate, well, you have to watch this one or you're not going to get that one. If it doesn't succeed on its own as a sequel, then it's not going to succeed these days. Right. Well, I mean, it is a completely different world now, too, where, you know, everything has an interconnected mythology and everything has to relate back and forth. And the, I mean, I just saw Independence Day and it ends with a direct setup for the next film. Basically just looking at the camera and saying, you're coming, right? Yeah. And all you can think of is, no. <laughs> my answer is no. First of all, yes, you do not have my sword. You stupid, sucky alien movies. But I like the first one, and it I doesn't too. need to have a sequel. No. I mean, it's just this craven need to repurpose and remake and, and just redevelop everything. It made me feel like the people who were crapping all over Jurassic World have an apology coming. Yeah. Like they're, that's how you do that. You yeah. can actually innovate within an existing thing and play for the nostalgia as nostalgia, but you still move the story forward. And you, you know, what would a world 20 years later be like? What would that look like? As opposed to, look, we're doing the same thing again. It worked the first time. You be quiet. Exactly. Just take this. No, I think Craven's the right word for it, too, because ultimately what happens, with it's not just nostalgia and it's not just um, proof of concept, although that's certainly the case. Sure. It's it's fear of writers. It's, it's a fear of taking a risk on something that, um, and I should say specifically screenwriters, because they will go to a novelist and they will say, uh, okay, this material has something, let's go ahead and adapt it. Um, but they and they will go to a movie and say, "Well, this one was done twenty years ago. Let's you know cannibalize it and do it again." Right. But somebody bet on that script that first time without anything preceding it, without any legacy behind it, with just one person in a room writing an idea on the page. And, I'm, and obviously, it becomes the director and all the other people past that. I'm just talking the green lighting stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. And there seems to be less boldness behind those decisions these days. They want to be able to check all their balances for their, you know, um, their individual uh, financial masters, which is fair. But there has to be some measure of risk and novelty because the audience craves that, you yeah. know? Yeah. I mean, the most successful franchise extensions, I find, are the ones that do something different or change the game in, a, in an interesting way as opposed to simply repeating it. And and speaking of risk, I mean, that's what they did with Cameron. He'd made 
Piranha 2, which demonstrated he could do sequels, yep. I guess. Uh, even <laughs> or he, he was, could do Piranhas. Yeah, that. he could do Piranhas. Even though he was breaking into the, the editing bay, and we have this legendary story of yep. him fixing their cuts after they locked him out. Uh, and then he made Terminator, which is... Amazing. Yeah, just you know, like $6.5 million um, freak of nature. Just an incredible piece of storytelling. Smart, fun, all of it. And then they said, okay, here, take this thing. Or he said, I want this thing. And either way, they were both willing to do that, both Fox and Brandywine, which is this weird amalgam of you know Ridley Scott and Walter Hill and yeah. David Geiler, people who are all individuals anyway and somehow have created this thing that mutates every time they try a new one. And they put it in the hands of a guy who, as far as I could tell, seemed uniquely unsuited to the sort of gothic horror and yeah. haunted house construction. And he just decided to do his thing. Yeah, no, I, I think ultimately it's a balance. I mean, uh, it would be ignorant and churlish, churlish rather, and selfish for those of us in the in the creative end of this to say, you know, um, no, don't pay attention to odds. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't pay. People have to make profit, and and it's that's not a bad thing. That's a thing that allows everybody else a place at the table, allows us to sort of take our, our tools and, and make our toys and, and put it out to people. It really is just looking at that balance. You know, you have to have those surefire ten poles. I think it just feels, and, and I, I don't know this actually is the case, but it feels as if those those big tent pole things, um, the superhero things, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, are eating up and becoming more and more what we're seeing and they're glorious and you know and, and they're fun to see but it feels like there's less of that money trickling out to other things it's just going to more sequels yeah. well Warner just announced in the wake of Batman vs. Superman underperforming that they were going to pull back on mid-range films mm -hmm. because the um, how did someone put it the 20 million dollar movie that yields 60 million dollars doesn't quite make as much sense anymore yeah which is so sad 60 millions is pretty great <laughs> yeah that's 40 million dollars a know? <laughs> it used to be that that was pretty good. I mean, Aliens yeah. cost, I think, $18 million, yeah. which is stunning for what it accomplished. But um, the idea that that is somehow less appealing, that that would have been one of the films that doesn't get made anymore. Although I suppose since it's a franchise, of course it would. Yeah, yeah, it would. It would, it would have something behind it, you know, and there is something to be said for that. I mean, um, ideally what you do with franchises is you've created, as in Aliens, at least one indelible character that the audience knows and is invested in, sure. and you continue their journey. So you take them to new places, you do exactly what you would do in any one installment, which is you, you challenge them, you change them, you do all those really fun storytelling things. Um, it, where it gets a little bit less satisfying is two things. One, you either take them, and, and this happens a lot of times, and some have said it has happened in Aliens as well, um, that you take too many new voices, too many new people, too many novel takes on it, and so it doesn't feel like it's actually of a piece. It feels like the character is not the character, the world is not the world. Fans can push against that, and that's understandable. Okay. The other is that you don't <clears throat> change it at all. And so nothing except for those that are hardcore into nostalgia um, appeals with that path because um, there's no growth. There's You're basically paying to see the exact same thing again, which for those who like wearing the same old pair of jeans, which sometimes I've been accused of, sure. is comforting. Um, but the sweet spot, and I think that that is, for me, what Aliens did, is you, you, you navigate this awesome space in between. You have that character. You have that character acting like that character does, but you expand and change what they're experiencing. And also, in that sense, the tone. It became a different sort of genre. It wasn't a claustrophobic horror 
it was more straight up action sci-fi. Yeah. And that's exciting. You're taking a great it's 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 what you do all the time with, you know, old um old myths, old Shakespeare, anything that has had a broad canon of characters that people over time because it's, you know, public domain shake up in the box, um toss out on the table into a new shape. Um and and I I've, I've appreciated that the Aliens franchise has done that. Yeah, it's kind of amazing to realize that you're getting a sci-fi war movie yeah. out of this thing. And it's, you know, like it instantly establishes all of those stakes, all of those values and and or actually not instantly. First there's that sort of lyrical prelude where Ripley is revived, we're reminded of what the aliens are with that incredible dream sequence, yeah. and then we just watch her get pulled back in. And the idea that as well that this is the the unwilling uh, sacrifice of her, of her home life, of her safety. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think, unless I'm unless I'm screwing up and missing something from one of the later films, there's a running theory that no one who sees the alien survives. Jones is the only character who's actually lived through a confrontation with the alien, with an alien. Uh, well, Ripley she, has. Well, Ripley, unlike. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. What am I missing yeah, here? If you go through later in the series. <laughs> it doesn't go so well. Right. Yes, um, that's right. That the idea is that there is this, you know, it's what Ash described in the first film. It's a perfect engine. It's a biological killing machine. Um, it's the Grim Reaper. It is, and it's so implacable that it will get you even if it doesn't get you. You can get away, and you still get pulled back. And the sense of um, it's it was in the first film an incredible, and, and it, it's the limitation that runs through the entire series, mm-hmm. which is if this if this thing ever gets back to Earth, it's yeah. over. Yeah. And Aliens is the one I think that proves it by showing us just how indestructible they are by adding the queen yeah. by expanding it in a way that feels organic to what we'd experienced in the first film but also simply does not stop yeah. and that's the Terminator that's Cameron's particular genius is finding new walls to put in front of people finding complications uh, the genius of Titanic is yeah. that he shows us that simulation at the beginning to let us know that Rose and Jack are always in the wrong place yes it's ingenious. It's absolutely like the guy's an engineer, of course. Yeah. He would think of something like this. Yeah. But with aliens, he found a way to do it with these amazing restrictions. You know, I think he had six suits. You never see more than six or maybe eight. I think it's six. You never see more than six aliens in one shot because that's the number of suits they had. <laughs> but based on the colonists and everything else, we know there's at least 50. Yeah. And you know, yeah. you buy it. You never, yeah. you never doubt it. For a second, he creates this incredible menace in a refitted power station in England yeah, and just locks us in there and makes it work. He's really excellent with framing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what I've always appreciated about him is, is, um, his ingenuity. Obviously he's gone ahead and created different types of cameras. If he wants to shoot underwater and he's done, um, you know, when he decided to sort of flip and have the aliens, uh, just be a guy that's crawling across the ceiling and then he's taking the camera and saying, what if we flip this? And they're like, yeah, let's do that. And let's, you know, um, I, I think that, I have enormous respect for um, the craft of directing, and what is amazing about it is when you see the people who are really at the top of their field, um, you don't actually feel that hand. You're so immersed in the story, you're not noticing the shots and the framing. It really takes you stepping back later on and looking at it and saying, holy shit, that made that, you know, the escalation of claustrophobia as they're increasingly, the feeling of you actually going from we're out 
um, on the surface. Now we're inside on the first, and then he takes you with Newt. Now we're going through what literally feels like a birthing situation, a painful birthing as she's going through that the the roundabout and being sucked under. Um, and then we're in the bowels, and like it's it's just this wonderful. Um, I like how he uses physical situations in order to tell emotional stories, and I think that that's something that um, requires an innate feeling for that sort of storytelling, and it's really a joy to experience. So when you saw it, had you seen Terminator? Were you aware of Cameron? Or I believe, and again, it's it's a, a trying to remember. There's so many. My my brain, my writer brain, and my fan brain are of a piece. I I can't. They're inextricably linked. I can't take one away from the other, and especially because you start as a child. And for me, I started writing really quite early, um, and so I was a kind of functional writer while I was also just a, a nascent fan of stuff. And so for me. There are these beautiful images or passages of, of books or book covers often that kind of are how I got into genre. Right. And so one of those images for me certainly is the experience of sitting with a friend and watching Terminator. Um, I don't remember. In, in They're all messed up in my head. Did that come before Aliens? Did not. Uh, I know that I, I saw, again, them out of order, I think because the age that I was. I didn't see the first ter- Terminator until long after I saw Terminator 2, Judgment Day, of which I had the poster on my wall. Me too. Yep, that was, that was a big poster. time. That was good, and it was a good movie, and you know, and I was a big dorky Guns N' Roses fan. Um, <laughs> so I had all those things. It was, it was a lot of my, my usual um, sweet spots in one movie. But what I love is that Usually I can go through and watch certainly a lot of his uh, Cameron's earlier stuff and just feel like it was made for me. You know, there's there's always a character that is a stand-in for what my brain wants, which is somebody who is far more badass than I will ever be, but looks like they're from the same genetic pool. Okay. <laughs> they're ladies. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, sure. I'm like, oh, okay, there's something there that I can kind of uh, latch onto. And... He has a really good track record um, for me when it comes to those characters being some people that are not, um, they're not defined by their gender um, in a way that often they are in classic science fiction. So it feels just very fresh. And I'm always looking for fresh. Just I'm looking for some hero. It doesn't have to be a a woman. I'm I'm being semi-facetious with that. But some hero that isn't somebody that I've seen a million times before because ultimately in genre we are continually telling heroes journeys and that will get stale you just need some injection of a new point of view and then it feels just enough of a twist that i'm like okay good take my money you know take take these two hours of my life show me something slightly fresh uh and i think he's been very good at that yeah well and gender gender plays in aliens in a really interesting way i mean i I suppose it always did but it gets Mm -hmm. more interesting the more i think about it as the years go by in that ripley is She's sensible and she's informed. She's always right because she's faced this before. And her only response is to go away. She doesn't want to be there. She doesn't want to be on the planet. She doesn't want to, you know, now I think she would negotiate a consultancy role. (laughs) Some sort of video chat. Yes, really. You know, just stay at home and go, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Ripley needed an agent. Yeah. (laughs) She needed people. Well, it was 86. They just hadn't thought it through. Exactly. They didn't realize at this point in time there'd be a a structure for this. Yes. Sky patent had. Exactly. But she is dismissed by the women as well, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting. Uh, Vasquez, who is defined very quickly as the the most butch of Mm -hmm. all of them, because she has to be, is also quick to write her off Mm -hmm. because she's a civilian. And so she's doubly marginalized, except that, of course, about 
you know, 82 minutes in, everybody's listening to yeah. it. Or the ones who are or they're surviving. Dead. Yeah. They're the all a little bit still dead. Left, no to listen. <laughs> but it is like a really interesting little exercise in gender stuff because, you know, Sarah Connor was introduced yeah. as kind of a, a frithy girl with the blown out hair and yeah. everything, but quickly became radicalized through the Terminator stuff to become the character that Linda Hamilton plays in the second movie. Yeah. Ripley doesn't really change Mm-mm. from the first film, even. Uh, she's competent. She's short-tempered. Yeah. She has no patience for and people. she's right. Yeah, she has no patience for people who disagree with her. Yeah. But even before the alien stuff, her decisions on board the ship about not breaking quarantine, she's pretty much the person you want in charge of something yeah. like this. And so her character is to be is doomed to sort of forever be the Cassandra to be pushed through situation to situation, knowing what's coming and being powerless to stop it. Yeah. Unless people listen to her, and that's how. Aliens has something even close to a happy ending because she starts working to form this family unit even before it's a unit with Hicks and with Newt and with uh, Bishop. Yeah. Sort of overcoming her own prejudices as well, but still always being right, which is sort of great. The movie basically says to the characters or to the audience through the characters, listen to her and you live. Mm-hmm. Ignore her and you die. Yeah. And I think... You might die anyway. Yeah, you might. You probably eventually, yeah. you know... You will all die in a ship. Yeah, on a long enough timeline of alien movies, you're yes, probably you are going to, to die. die. This is this is the implacable part of life. But um, what I found really appealing about her is that there's, to me personally, um, there's uh, a lot of a lot of uh, gender in film is limiting for both genders. Um, men aren't allowed to be shown as sensitive or as good parents or, you know, in terms of good parent meaning that that's a, a primary thing that they care about right, above right. all else, you know, unless it's shooting somebody who comes with their kid, that's kind of the limit for it, so... Um, the Harrison Ford model. Yes, exactly, and then and then you're using that as a as a prop, and you're like, well, no, this is just an excuse for, for you to have a guy who's not typically an alpha male have the fantasy of saying, well, this is how I handle this, which is good entertainment, and I've enjoyed it, um, but they, they often do the same with women, and the part that I liked about Ripley was that often in in genre, if they're showing female um, characters, they aren't showing them as, as heroic, certainly in the past, we're much, much better now, but um, but also they're limiting the types of strength that they are allowed to show. And Ripley kind of runs the gamut. She does have a softness to her. She has a relationship kind of strength in terms of how she builds it. But what I love is that she had a leadership strength. She was um, she was the smartest. Uh, she then also played straight down the barrel head of classic where women are allowed to be strong is protecting a baby. So it's, it's she's physically strong. It's all of these different kinds of things, which is if you just stop and look at that, at what you are often shown, even now, if you're going to show a lot of the female superhero characters, they're going to have a great waist and they're going to punch people around. And I am, I am guilty of this type of storytelling as well. I love a tough ass chick. Um, but she was various types of tough she was a lot of flavors in the candy bar and and that for me was just really enjoyable again not even politically but just because you don't see that certainly i hadn't as a child yeah i remember thinking just how odd it was that the movie made time for the sequence where hicks kind of parents knew just that little moment where you know don't touch that it's dangerous and pulls a grenade away and does it he he sort of he does it gruffly and then softens and we get to watch Ripley see it yep. and that moment is the kind of thing that nobody has time for yeah. in a movie like this That you would cut that you look at all the stuff that Cameron did cut because well, he's two and a half hours it. long yeah. I mean like there's entire scenes that are cut so mm-hmm. it, 
He's famous for paring his yep. movies down to to bare minimum, but somehow he knew like some part of of the process had to be preserved that you had to see these characters relate to each other if you want to earn their survival. Everybody has a right to sort of look for what they want in a story and to deem that story a success or failure. That's that is the latitude and power of being a viewer and being a fan. Um, for my personal taste, it is character. So I'm really interested in those moments. I'm interested because I'm going to spend time with you and have to care whether you live or die. So I kind of want to know some surprising and just show me a little hints of it, you know. And that's the, those moments are beautiful to me because um, if you if you step back and look at and I fucking love Hicks. Like that is if you're just going to say through the canon of of movies and books that I've read, who are my favorite characters? <laughs> okay, one of them will be Val Kilmer's Matt Morgan and Willow. So sure, I have sure. I, I have some strange picks, but we we have formative experience. <laughs> we are who we are. Yeah. Um, but uh, but that character was one for me, and Bean did a an amazing job, I think, on being charming, um, being competent, and also being very astute. You know, when he makes his little digs to Burke and he makes his comments, he sort of facetiously puts him himself or his abilities down. Um, it's It makes a character that I'm invested in because I understand that there's a lot going on under the surface. And, and through the writing and through the acting, that was done really sparely. There were not a lot of scenes that are dedicated just to that character. Mm-hmm. But their relationship, just the scene of him teaching her how to use the gun... Um, how they both handled that, it didn't become some treacly kind of this is a move. It wasn't basically the the um, the uh, alien military complex uh, equivalent of guy teaches girl how to play pool. Right. You know? And yeah. it could so easily have skewed that way, and then it becomes a different film, a silly film. Yeah. You know? This was a genuine moment of people who might die. Yeah, but because they take that time to laugh in that one moment about how ridiculous it is... It becomes everything else. Yeah. Like, it becomes genuinely sexy. Yeah. In a really weird yes. way. In a really weird, like, like compelling way. Like, fetishism thing going on. Yeah. But they're, both characters are smart enough to acknowledge that it's happening, which makes it great. I think the ultimate thing in that movie to me, if, or in that scene to me, if you're just looking at subtext, and I think most character relationships, obviously, every scene is subtext, is both of them saying, trust me. Mm-hmm. That's ultimately the conversation they have is they're working with clips and, you know, and, and safeties and all that is, trust me, trust me. And they do. They trust each other. And there's a bit of a handing of the baton there as well in terms of um, her being accepted a bit more as the person who is going to ultimately become, you know, in our terms, it would be the protagonist. But in their terms, the leader yeah. of this little journey, you know, um, and... What is amazing about a character like Hicks, and I think this is very true in the real world, I I think you need those characters who themselves could assert themselves, who have the power, who have the leadership, but who are able to, to sort of look at a situation like this and say, who is going to get us out of this alive? And I think a lot of military guys are actually really, really good at that, and, and ladies. Um, and in in that situation, that's what matters. And she was the one who had experience. Experience wins. And in our show, that's basically, you know, with Dutch and Davin, that's their, that's the equivalent that I've put into there, is he's a highly competent military guy, and he's very good at saying who is going to get us out of this, and ultimately it is usually Dutch. She has a different breadth of skills, you know? Right. And I think that that's what, as a fan, um, those of us who are writers or ultimately first fans, that's what we do is we look at these things on an unconscious level. We're like, what is appealing about this to me? And we sort of retell little tiny bits of those stories. And, um, and the Hicks and Ripley dynamic has been, as, as I said, just been really formative for me. Yeah. I mean, the, you, I think you put it beautifully. It's the, why do I love this mm-hmm. question? 
And for aliens, for me, the answer is because it's incredibly tense, but also immeasurably fun. Like, it is so much fun to watch these people suffer and die. Yeah. Uh, and survive, because they have earned it. But to pick up on repeat viewings the way that, yeah, the way that Hicks is easily the most watchful character. Yeah. There's so quietly watching shot everything. shot shot of him just sort of yeah. observing. Love that. Yeah. And that's something that Bean with, uh, Bean's physicality, you would think, wouldn't allow for, because mm -hmm. he's, he, he's charismatic. Yeah. He's magnetic. He's broad-shouldered. Like, he's yeah. just physically present. But he, hold, he holds back. Yeah. And it's because I think he's got Bill Paxton <laughs> making all the noise. Sure. Like, you know, yes. Hudson is the one... Yeah. That great joke early on, I'm Hudson, he's Hicks. How could you ever make that mistake? They're so completely different. Yeah. But that also shows us that Gorman's not paying attention. Yeah. And all of these little things are just interlocked in such a way that as an audience member, I can derive so much pleasure from seeing it fit together while it's still, you know, digging its, yeah. its fingernails into my shoulders and forcing me on this roller coaster. It's just an incredible treat to find a movie that succeeds strictly on popcorn entertainment action mm. level, but at the same time, and this is how things, I think, become timeless and how things really matter, it does so much more under the surface. The fact that she has all these prejudices against Bishop, right. this is this is an important detail. This is an important thing that is feathered throughout. It is making a statement about things. The fact that, uh, and although it was a scene that was cut, um, the fact that she's just learned her daughter has died and then is clearly on a journey where she needs to save Newt because it is saving a part of herself that wasn't there right. or, or forgiving a part of herself that wasn't there to save her daughter or, or sort of see her last days. Um, these are, you don't find that. And this is what is so sad to me and, and so disappointing to me as a fan is that they're putting these huge amounts of dollars into a lot of these movies and they're so succeeding on the visual. They're so succeeding on the adrenaline and I love them for that. But somehow people are forgetting in some cases, certainly not all, but they're forgetting to say something. They're not saying anything. They're not even saying anything about their characters other than, you're a bad guy, I'm a good guy, I want to go kick your ass. And, and, and that's fabulous, and I'm there for it. I will be there for it for the rest of my days. But what the fuck else are you saying? Yeah. And, and that's where it gets depressing, because they feel a little bit like lost opportunities. And I so love the medium. I so love all, all of the, you know, shoot 'em up and genre and all that. I'm... It's half of my life. It's my free time. It's the only stuff I do. I have no hobbies. <laughs> so when I go and I, I have time away from work, which is precious and rare, I want these things to succeed. And I want to hear something about a character that makes me love them. And you can't make me love them by just saying, they're going to get this car chase now, and by the end of it, someone's going to die. You have to tell me something about them. Yeah. Tell me a story. Yeah. You know, Don't just tell me an action sequence. Well, I think that's why, I mean, you're, you were talking about the superhero films earlier. I think that's why the Captain America films resonate way yeah. more than anybody else's do. They're about someone who is an idealist, constantly confronted with the death of idealism. Yeah. And cynicism and refusing yeah. to give in. But they're also geeky, punchy, jumpy action films that allow a celebration of what the hero stands for in the face of all of this stuff. It lets you believe again. Yes. As opposed to, you know... Superman, Batman, yeah. uh, yelling at each other until somebody falls down, yeah. which is just grinding and exhausting and, and joyless. Yeah, and I love joy. I miss joy. And also because the, uh, all the, the Iron Man and Captain America, there's also, God bless it and God bless we humor. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I loved the idea of a man out of time. 
You know, that he's like, I'm from a different era. I'm from a different America. And I come back and I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, things have changed. And, and there's something, again, you're telling something, right? There's a little bit of meat on that bone. And I, I don't need a lot. But, but if it feels like we can sit here years later and have the conversation we're having about aliens easily. We could talk a day about all the different things that it's doing underneath the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can do some of that. If you give us something else, allegory, theme, something else that, that you can sort of gnash your teeth against in a, in a pleasingly tactile way, mentally tactile, um, then, my God, you've, you've accomplished what you hope to accomplish, what everybody hopes to accomplish, and what you hope to accomplish with that amount of money put in your lap, which most of us will never get. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh my God, you could, there's so many things that a lot of us write in television where you're like, and I'm famous for this on my shows. I write it, and the producer basically wants to come and smack me on the head. They're like, we cannot produce that. And I'm like, but it is so pretty. It is so pretty. Trust me. Just give me this shot. And they're like, we can't. We're television. We have eight days. And, you know, I'm amazed continually what we're able to do. But it's just when I see these other things, and it's it's nothing but rooting for them at this stage. I'm like, just just please nail that. Nail that landing. Yeah. Stick it. Um, because I, I, as a fan, just... It makes your life better. You know, There's we're always sitting there and saying, oh, well, you know, uh, it's just storytelling, and that's true. But storytelling is so incredibly important in, in terms of our experience as humans. You know, it, it, it charts it. It's our history of it. It shows us where we came. It shows us where we think we're going, who we are, what we value. It is important, and it is also a joy in life. And I just want selfishly, selfishly, to have more of those fabulous experiences like I had with an aliens. Yeah. You know? I don't know that it's selfish, though. I mean, isn't that what everybody is supposed to want? It's it's almost altruistic. World peace, to Norm. We're supposed to want world peace. But what if we could achieve it through storytelling? <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think, I mean, I think there's something really wonderful in wanting it to be better because everyone benefits. Like, it's not the rising tide that lifts all boats, no. necessarily. But in 1986, I mean, think about, you know, The Fly is this incredible, yeah. powerful allegory for cancer yeah. or, or mental illness, yeah. watching a loved one change. Yeah. Um, Big Trouble in Little China is sort of prefigures the matrix in yeah. the way that American culture swallows Asian mm-hmm. action mm-hmm. cliches. Um, Blue Velvet is whatever Blue Velvet is. Exactly. <laughs> it's completely singular, yeah. and yet a major motion picture yes. distribution company bought it and released for an it. For film. Yeah, and yeah. put it out in the world yeah. in the summer. Yes. Of 1986. Yes. And then there's Aliens, which, again, is the most, you know, it's the most normal, least radical bet. Yes. It's simply perfect action construction. And by doing that, by by getting everything right, it gives you the license to look into it and peel the layers back and just, I I mean, I, a year earlier, Back to the Future did that. I think Mm -hmm. it's the film that's loaded as a commercial Mm -hmm. blockbuster goes. It's just loaded with commentary and resonance and all kinds of stuff. It wasn't impossible. It wasn't even difficult at the time to do that. No, and and if you look at also, they were a lot of those films, um, including Aliens. They were uh, nominated and appreciated yeah. by the Academy. Yeah. You know, and that's that's a rare thing for genre. You know, um, and that sort of um, appropriate or, or uh, that sort of appreciation and that sort of acknowledgement that these were things working at the the height of the game at the time yeah. and that there was deeper meaning behind them and they were they were just beautiful you know i'm 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 a um 
when it comes to myself as, as a writer and a storyteller, I don't hold myself up too much other than entertaining myself. You know what I mean? I'm not something, uh, somebody who considers themselves an artist. I'm not coming at things in that way. I'm, I'm an entertainer. Um, and, and so when I see people that I do believe make it into an art form, um, I have nothing but enormous respect and appreciation. And truly, that's what Aliens is to me. If you have that great of an impact on, on people, there's something more going on than, than popcorn, you know? And um, it's speaking to something cultural often at that point, you know? As well as just, God, if you think of the effects guys, what they pulled off, you know? Yeah. Like, everything. It was just, it, it, was, it was delicious, um, yeah, there's like two rear projection shots that look like rear projection shots. Yes, yes, Everything yes, else yes. just, you buy it. <laughs> but, see, for me, and then that's probably because I'm, I'm a television writer who works within television budgets, I find that adorable. Right. You know, like, I'm always, I, like, I look at early Doctor Who and I'm like, oh, chuck you under the chin. You know, like, it's, it's great. I love that. Because those of us who are, you know, not just fans but nerds, um, I think love how, how the sausage is made. You mm-hmm. know, and, and we love, um, it's, I think we kind of look at the people making those things as their own form of warrior. You know, right. that's their that's their warrior journey. They're fighting the budget. You know, right. they're, they're right. fighting the VFX, and they're coming out at the end of the battle with this delicious little thing you can eat. And, um, you know, I just... There's just so much to enjoy um, in movies, and we're doing such incredible things now with effects, and so much is being done to push all of that forward in, in video games. Sure. You know, which I'm I'm a huge fan of as well. It's harder to tell narrative stories in those. So it's I'm curious to see where these things go in the future. You know, I know that they've had a bunch of aliens games, and um, you know, how, where are we going to find the best place to tell these stories once they become a little bit more interactive? Yeah. You know, and is that going to improve things, or is it going to just make things? further canted towards the experiential and the physical and, and less towards the, the character and the internal. And, you know, um, that's, that's the thing I look for. Yeah. I, whereas I'm, my first response is why would anybody want to fight an alien? It's going to win. <laughs> oh, but is it like you suspend your disbelief, right? Everybody dies. In this <laughs> Eventually. On yes. a long time. You know what I found the most surprising thing on aliens too is, uh, what's the one, God, was it three where they where there's there's her kind of half baby that gets sucked through the? Um, oh, that was resurrection. It's the the third, the fourth one. The fourth one. Okay, yeah. I think I saw a bit of that one. I didn't Jean Pierre Genet film. And again, like that's fascinating too. Like Fox has repeatedly given these movies to genuine art filmmakers. Yeah. I mean, Cameron wasn't yet, but he would be. Piranha. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How dare you, sir? Terminator. I mean, come on, it's it's genius. Yes. Um, yeah. But you know, Ridley Scott, who only made The Duelists, yeah. suddenly getting the keys to Pinewood. Yeah. And then Cameron coming off Piranha 2 and, and Terminator. Uh, B-movies that yeah. could easily be dismissed if you wanted to. Be a jerk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third, Fincher's first yeah. film. And uh, and then Jean-Pierre Junet, who once told me... like I, I got to interview him for something else, oh. for Micmacs, I think. And I just asked him, like, how did it even happen? Yeah. How did this happen? And he said, they asked me. <laughs> they just they, they said, do you want to make this? And I said, Yes. Of course I want to play with that. Oh my but God, wouldn't, awesome. right? You're given $80 million and whatever you want. Yeah. I, I totally see the appeal. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, they have chosen, every single time, they've chosen the least likely person. Well, now the talks, and I've seen some of the, the visuals, and... Um, oh, Blomkamp? Yeah. Mm. Like, well, 
Here's the thing, though. So, so my spiritual journey, if someone was like, okay, you could have $5 million or you could write any movie that you want to write and you know it's going to be made, mine would be the Newt movie. Okay. Like, I would, I, that's more important to me than commerce. I'd be like, yep, that is, that is. And then I would never show it to anybody because I wouldn't want to ruin the canon. <laughs> I'd be like, I just want to, I want him to make it and then I'll show it in the backyard with my friends. Um, but, but to me, what that I was. actually be the greatest goal. <laughs> It's pretty awesome, I'm, isn't it? Give I'm me not, the budget to do I'm it. I'm going to do this, yeah. and I'm, it's fine. And I get to Whatever keep it. Whatever happens, it's yes, mine. Yeah. Exactly. I would. I would. I, I have small needs, <laughs> um, <laughs> but for me, uh, what was exciting was, and this may have changed, or I may have got it wrong. I remember hearing that Blancamp was going to uh, basically have go back and change, so it was going to be yeah, kind it was of basically going to pick up after Alien. Yes, and that is enormously exciting to me. That is. And, and you get a lot of people that are worried about, you know, timelines and, you know, alternate realities and is this story negate the other? I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't yeah. want to think about that, that everybody else can sit down and, and write their charts. For me, it's just, again, the, the, what we spoke of earlier, the idea of having characters that have not fundamentally changed at their core, so they're recognizable, but go through changes because what is around them is fundamentally different from what they experienced before. And there's just room for that now if you were to take the characters, um, and I don't know how the hell they do it because obviously everybody's going to be too old now, um, but it's just a really exciting concept to me because if they don't do it soon, they're not going to do it. I, in the back of my mind, and this will never, ever happen, mm -hmm. because no one would dare but Sarah Polly. Oh, well, of Sarah course they Polly would freaking dare. She, well, I don't think she'd do it. I don't think she'd, yeah. But well, she did, what was the the one with the zombies? She did that once? Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. The gun, yeah. yeah. The uh, Snyder Gun movie. Yeah. I think she's just moved in a different direction. Yeah. She's not acting that much these days. But What if uh, she also directed it? I mean, it wouldn't be the biggest risk that uh, yeah. Fox ever You took. know who I think would be amazing as well? Who is the, the young actress who did Hannah? Oh, Sor uh, Saoirse, Saoirse Ronan. Yeah. She's a she's a pretty much a dead ringer when she, at least with her messy hair. Yeah, you mentioned Newt, it, yeah. she and she certainly has that kind of um, what I loved about Newt, and obviously she was an actress who was not an actress, and so that's having you know uh, had I've had good luck working with children, but having done it, uh, you don't know what you're going to get. Sure, there's certain hours you can work. There's all these sorts of things, lots of these challenges, um, and she was just so natural, her adorable little voice, um, but there was something about the character that felt like Hicks. And I think in that moment that they had, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm overwriting this in my own head and putting a novel flourish on it, but I think the two of them were of like kind. And I think that was a scene, they're very watchful. They're both very um, internal seeming in terms of deciding who to trust uh, and both very strong, mm -hmm. you know, like, and brave as hell. So if you were to take a character like Newt, like what's fascinating to me, you know, she was a child, but she was a fully formed, really interesting character. Um, and so there's a lot that you can do to extrapolate from that when you make the character a little bit older, make her, you know, 16 to 23, whatever they're going to do. Oh, so you, go, you wouldn't even go to the 30s? Okay, I'm, in my head, I don't know why. I'm adjusting forward for time. So she'd be, like, in her 30s now. But I'm just assuming that, and this is, you know... Possibly yeah. cynical, but I want to know how vagaries of filmmaking being what they are, I'm assuming they're going to go for the the sweet spot of when women are most marketable. Right. So I assumed that that's what they were going to do, and which is again something that they played against with the original Aliens, or actually original Alien. Yeah. Um, that could work. I mean, well, you go too far in the other direction, you get a Katniss, right? You get yeah. someone who's a scrappy survivor. Yes. 
um, yeah. which you don't necessarily get in this franchise. Like, no. I don't think she belongs in that universe that way. But okay, so what would you do? What's where would you take the story? Because now I have to know. Well, I haven't given myself the the luxury or permission to sort of think of that. Um, it's just sort of a gaping, <laughs> gnawing hunger for somebody to do that story, right. you know. So, and then that is the privilege of being a writer that you can sit there. And it's just, honest to God, I would have no other brain than a writer's brain because we don't ever get to be bored. If we turn on the channel and there's nothing on there for us, we can. And whether we actually get our ass off the couch and write it down or not is another thing. Um, but we have the voices in our head that supply the entertainment. So, um, so I certainly have spent time just kind of thinking how much I would like to see something like that. For me, it's more just the idea that. Um, and this is stupid, but it just felt disrespectful to those characters. I agree. I don't think that is stupid. I think that's... I I, I will argue forever for you know an artist to do whatever they want, right. but it did seem... And pushing Ripley against that wall, theoretically, like yeah. on the page, maybe that would be interesting. Yeah. But it did seem just, eh, yeah. we're going to go somewhere else. We yeah. don't want to do this. Yeah. We... You know, the, uh, they, they've killed off Will Smith's character in Independence Day Resurgence oh. off-camera. You don't really? See it. Oh, yeah, it happened before. Uh, so they can introduce his kid. Oh. As part of them, I mean, they're, they're actually... Well, his kid was in the first one, so... Right. Or well, was the, it his adopted the, kid? I yeah, remember. all the kids. It was Vivica Fox's. Right. I think. But all the children have grown up and are in the movie. Okay. Which is, cool. well, at least a few of them, which is sort of clever. Yeah, yeah. But then they actually call him, uh, the, the Jesse Usher's character, um, the Legacy Squadron. So he shows up and it's like, hey, I am doing the things that my dad's character would do, probably. And <laughs> if we could afford him. Yeah, and they don't know what to do with him and it doesn't work. But right. um, the idea that that's how you handle it, you know, yeah. somebody pauses and looks at a big photograph of Will Smith and it's like, sad that he's gone. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's fine. But what they did, yeah, the autopsy on Newt, the, the, the decisions in Alien 3 yeah. compounded the wrongness. Yes. As it went through the film, I yes. guess. Well, I think it's because they, the, it's the thing we talked of before of wanting to have new challenges in front of your character. They wiped it out and made it seem that that didn't matter, which is, first of all, bogus. We understand what they went through and that, of course, it mattered. But they're also negating the idea of her first loss of a child, mm. which was a formative thing for that character. It happened, and um, she's always an off-camera mom. You know what I mean? You never, which is interesting. They, they, it's sort of what they do. Like, a, a, what was it? Everybody loves Raymond. They're like, we're oh, gonna have right. children. We're gonna but, see the kids. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna be in a corner and they're gonna be a concept, um, which, which is interesting. But with Newt, we actually saw that bond form. So taking away that again, and kind of basically, if I recall, and again, I didn't really watch those ones with a, um, I didn't connect to the other ones, um, but not having her experience that, meaning Ripley. Or just having it be repetitive of what she's already experienced isn't overly imaginative. You know, it's it's either saying, well, none of that mattered, or it mattered, but we're making her go through the same experience again. And and what I like about the idea of having Newt um, in the future, obviously, my first choice would be to have people sit down with Sigourney Weaver and Aidee Cameron and say, what would you like to do? Here's all your money, yeah. and let's have a time machine. Um, and we can, you know, pick up exactly where you were, et cetera, et cetera. But in the absence of that, what Newt allows me is the latitude of being able to tell that story through somebody um, who is fresh to it but still connected to it. And then hopefully being able to keep the Sigourney character. Um, Sigourney's what, uh, 50s? 
Late 50s, early 60s. Yeah. That's crazy. Early 60s. And That's most, impossible. Is I, that possible? I love that lady. Galaxy Quest, all of that. God, she's so yeah. good. Oh, she's wonderful. But, she, yeah, she must be. If she is at that stage, what it allows us to do is have a character we have not often seen, which is the wise older woman. A lot of times we have the wise older dude. Um, oh, yeah, no, the military veteran? Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know that character. I don't know the older badass woman who's like, okay, everybody sit down and listen. And she would provide that, which I think is exciting, while at the same time having this incredible connection emotionally to the younger character of Newt. So you've got backstory, you've got a character you haven't quite seen before, you've got a change of a character that you do love and haven't seen in a while, because now she's an older, more experienced person. Um, it's got all these delicious elements. So it's... It would be a shame if that wasn't something that, that they did. But it's a shame I'm prepared to swallow. It may never happen. I don't know. I kind of want to see it now. <laughs> and we can Skype. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, it's... it's uh, you, want the, you want the get away from her, you bitch woman, to, to come back. Yeah. But come back in a different guise. I, I want to see what that's like on a woman in her 50s and or 60s. And I refuse to believe, not that there's anything wrong with her being in her 60s. It, that just makes me old now. <laughs> She's in her sixties. Um, I'm trying not to think about it. Exactly, exactly. But yeah. I think I think that that would be um, of interest to me, and I don't think I'd be the only one. God no. Um, well, th- uh, yeah. I just now I want to see it. I just want to see that movie. <laughs> uh, but the um, before we well to get us to the wrap, the, the final question mm-hmm. is always the same as well, which is what. And I think you've already answered it. Really, what of aliens have you absorbed into your creative DNA or? outright stolen, quoted, mm-hmm. used. Has, how has it infiltrated your work? Uh, I would say that there's there's a few homages um, and then a few, like in terms of um, uh, visual things, um, and there's a few deeper resonating things that I've, I've taken from aliens and hope to sort of put into most of my stuff. So in terms of the, the simple, more direct things, the fact that, to my recollection anyway, um, they never referred to the company as anything other than the company. Yeah, it got a name later. Later. Net, the the why you Netanyahu. Thank you. Yeah. I can never say it. <laughs> I just called Yahoo. it Netanyahu. <laughs> like, no. Wrong reference. Um, but the fact... Oh, Net and Yahoo. Could <laughs> that could be. It could be. ISP very, thing yes. grew. <laughs> but the fact that they had this really delicious, very classically dystopian... Um, uh, mega corporate kind of entity that they didn't even honor with a name mm. um, because there were clearly no other ones to compete. When you when you say the company, you know what you're talking about. This is something that I have factored into our show as well because there's a point where I'm like, I could bring in a bunch of names so that it's clear that it's different from the rack. Um, and ultimately, we just loved the idea of it of it just being shorthand for everybody there because it has this this powerful influence over you. Right. Like it's not even a corporation. It's no. simply a way of Yes, life. exactly. It's, it's like a religion, you know? Um, so that kind of, but that's not just from that. There's a b- whole bunch of other dystopian references that, that came be- and preceded, uh, that existing in Aliens. And right. that's but what in, I love. But in Alien, it grew right out of the 70s. Yes. Like that incredible cynicism that was running through everything. Exactly. Exactly. So they had a fair amount of classic dystopian tropes in there, which I also, you know, um, have factored into my stuff. Um, originally, and this was unconscious, uh, the original name for Lucy was Betty. Oh, yeah. And I only think of the Nostromo. And um, when we tried to clear it, they were like, well, we can't clear 
the Betty because that's what they called the ship and aliens. I said, no, they didn't. Like I was, it was completely. I'm like, no, that's that's not what they called it. No, that's the ship in resurrection. Yes, yeah. yeah. But because that was the movie that I was kind of like on fast forward. Uh, <laughs> I don't even think it necessarily came from that. But I was like, oh shit. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Can I just call it that as as a as a you know loving reference because this thing was so important to me? And they're like, yeah, probably not. Um, so I'm like, okay, cool. But you it, can go with Sue for the Sulaka. <laughs> I should. I should. But really, for me, I think it was. Um, <laughs> this will sound silly, but I pictured a black ship in my head. Um, and so when I was writing, I had a soundtrack that I did to it, and I put um, Black Betty on it. And so sure. Black Betty became the theme song for me, so I called her the Betty. And I think to, to me it was just this ironic little thing that it, it had this backhand reference towards the, the, the show or, or movie um, that I love so much. Um, and then thematically and character-wise, as I said, the, the Hicks relationship with, um, I was going to say with Dutch, that's telling, um, <laughs> with Ripley was informative because what I loved about watching the Hicks character is that his his watchfulness, his esteem, and his trust in Ripley actually made his character grow for me. It made that character not lar- uh, smaller, not... It didn't seem uh, emasculating, which people are always paranoid about. It, it, and it was the exact ob- opposite. It made him so macho to me. It made him so sexy to me. Um partly because it was genuinely earned. You know, the audience wasn't saying, let's just do that because it's a political statement we want to make. They said, no, this is a character who knows what she's talking about, who has had experience in this, um, who is brave, who is smart. And so all he's doing is making the right choice. And to have that character be um, a man who was right, you know, and also a man who was kind. Uh, was important, and that's something that I try to work into sort of unconsciously some of my character dynamics and in my life. Um, and then really just I try to remind myself, and in television it's a little, it's a different challenge because it's a different arc, but I try to mi- remind myself to ripple it up a little in terms of, you know, it's not about being fearless. The thing that I loved about Sigourney um, in that role that she's always talked about is that she didn't want to be a soldier, she didn't want to use the guns, um, it wasn't something that you put that in her hand and all of a sudden you made some, you know, action hero out of her. She was bold because necessity required she be bold in that circumstance to do the right thing. And it's important to remember that when you're making characters, that you aren't just going to say, take the gun, go shoot the bad guy, um, and become something you're not. So we've tried with the characters that we have, the female characters, particularly in season two, to make sure that, you know, some of them hold the gun, some of them don't. Some of them are brave um, all the time because they've been trained. Um, and, you know, giving those shades to the characters who aren't. That they're brave in different ways. You know, Potter this season is quite brave. But she's not brave in an ass-kicking way. She's brave the way that Ripley was to try and, you know, take leadership over people who didn't want to be led. And who she knew needed to be led. Who needed to listen to her or they would all die. So, it's... So it's, it's a confidence born of knowledge and necessity rather than confrontation. It's allowing shades. It's allowing people to be tough and strong in different ways. You know, it's allowing them to be um, more than a one-note action hero. In those action scenes, I'm writing a full action hero. That's fun as shit. That's our music. That's our cinematic style. No apologies. I want the popcorn, right? right. In the quiet moments leading to and, and after that, it's finding you know the humanity of those characters and the layers and making sure that you allow them to be real and the men as well allowing them to be vulnerable allowing them to be people who have doubt who have you know because that's humanity that's that is men that that is women there really is no 
difference in in that. Um, the reality is each individual will have their different mixture of those things. You know, um, each individual is strong or weak in different ways. Um, and, and that's... Yeah, and I'd much rather see that. Yeah. I'd rather see that than, you know, people who are all in formation and doing the same thing with the same reason. It's yeah. much more interesting to have, you know, range. Well, it's just more real. And, and ultimately, for somebody who loves trading in the unreal what i really am looking for is the reality of it you know what is the emotional grounding there what what about this is really human what about it is relatable because i'm going to give you a bunch of werewolves and a bunch of spaceships and that shit you got to suspend your disbelief so i better offer you some people that are genuine and real and that you recognize and that you have been yourself or wish you could be um but not in a teflon way where you're like i wish i could be that person because they're infallible and they're immune and and that's boring as shit so um I, I could never and would never, frankly, because I'm I'm just I'm just not norm. I'm not ambitious enough. Um, I could never hope to aim for what they achieved in something like Aliens. But I will endlessly be grateful as a fan and as a writer for what I have experienced and what I have learned from that form of storytelling at its apex. You know, and um, and I think that's the best I could say. My thanks to Michelle Lavretta, who's finishing up post production on the second season of Killjoys, like right now. The show returns this Friday, July 1st, on Sci-Fi in the U.S. and Space in Canada. And the first season is available right now on Blu-ray from Universal Studios Home Entertainment if you want to catch up with it. And you should. It's a fun show. You can check in with Michelle on Twitter at Lovretta. You can find Aliens on DVD and Blu-ray from 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment, available in a number of excellent special editions, uh, each one better than the next. And uh, you can find it for rental and purchase on iTunes and Google Play. But honestly, if you don't own this movie already, you really need to reevaluate the choices you've made in your life. It's the best. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at nowtoronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. This week's call sign is not bad for a human. Thanks for listening.